Hello and welcome to the Delaware Football Roundup by WVUD Sports. I'm Brandon Hovack with Josh Deal today to break down Delaware's season-closing 20-6 loss to James Madison in the first round of the 2018 FCS playoffs. It was the fourth consecutive win in this series for the Dukes, who still trail the all-time series 14-12, but have certainly had the better of the Blue Hens and much of the CAA through the past couple of seasons. Josh, uh, this this is it. Delaware season finishes on a three-game losing streak. Can't say that either of us were surprised by the result down in Harrisonburg, Virginia, when we were calling the game for WVUD. But start us off with some of your overarching thoughts on the game yesterday. Yeah, well, it could have been a four or five game losing streak. We've said that with obviously the Towson and Albany games coming down to the last, really the last couple of seconds uh, in both of those games. Um, but I mean, yesterday, it, the better team won. Uh, James Madison, we saw a playoff team, a national championship contender. Uh, they played angry. They were not happy that the number six team in the FCS ended up getting not ended up not getting one of the top eight seeds in the playoffs. Uh, we heard head coach Mike Houston talk about that directly after the, um, the, the 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 seeds were released. And then yesterday at the press conference, we heard the same thing that, you know, like they got rid of it on Sunday, but obviously there's still something that goes in the back of your head when you're thinking, oh, this is a team that could be competing for the national championship, and yet we don't even get a seed. I mean, regardless of you know the, the three losses, regardless of record, this is a team that can put out the best product onto the field, not only from our conference, but one of the best teams in the CAA, or one of the best teams in the, the FCS. Um, looking at the other teams in the playoff, watching a lot of the games yesterday, this JMU team is the real deal, and uh, they showed us that yesterday in regards to their passing game. Delaware was able to stop them in the run game, which was something that we said needed to happen, um, but really Ben DiNucci uh, and the JMU passing offense, getting those little bubble screens, getting those short little hitch routes, uh, everything was working for them in the pass game, and uh, as a result, JMU won 20-6. That's something that I had written about and a few other people had talked about leading up to this game the fact that Delaware did kind of get the short end of the stick when you look at the matchups that they would have potentially had had James Madison gotten one of those top eight seeds. But because they don't get one of the top eight seeds and they're in there with the rest of everybody else because of the geography and the fact that Delaware did not play James Madison in the regular season, they inevitably were paired up. But it was something that we also said yesterday on the broadcast. If you're going to make a deep push into the playoffs, eventually you're going to play one of these top couple of teams are going to play a JMU, are going to play a North Dakota State again. So why suspend you know, this, this belief that this team was going to make a postseason run? You get that test right away in the first game of the tournament, and it shows, like you said, that this James Madison team still on another level from where the Blue Hens finished this season. Yeah, and even in that post, the same post-game press conference, Mike Houston said that you know this Delaware team is someone that you expect to see in the second or third round, right. not necessarily in that first round. We watched a couple of games yesterday, including the uh, the Lamar versus um, uh, Northern Illinois, Nor- uh, UN, uh, Northern Iowa. Northern we watched, Iowa. We watched the end of that game. That's a game that Delaware potentially could have won. Kevin Tresselini from uh, the News Journal said that you know Delaware has beaten UNI in the previous two matchups that we had against them in like 2003 and 2007. <laughs> but you know um, we do well when we go out to uh, Northern Illinois, and that's where that game was held. Um, so like there obviously there were other matchups that Delaware would have preferred, but like you said, this is a team that wasn't going to make that same postseason push that JMU can. 
that North Dakota inevitably, inevitably will. Um, and even teams like South Dakota State, uh, teams maybe like Colgate. Obviously, um, that's the team that JMU Delaware would have gone on to face, and now JMU will play them next week. Um, but there are other teams in the FCS that have a better shot, even teams like Maine, who have beaten big teams. Um, they have real shots at going further into the playoffs that I just didn't think the team that Delaware was putting out there every week, the product that they were putting out there, I don't think that it was as good as a lot of these other teams in the conference, and we saw that this weekend. There are only two teams left in the tournament from the CAA, Maine, who had a first-round bye, and James Madison, who beat Delaware. Towson, Stony Brook, and Elon all lost their first-round matchup. So a lot of pushback, I guess, going against the fact that the CAA got that record six number of teams into the 24-team tournament. Does that result do anything in your mind to alter what you thought of Delaware's regular season wins against those CAA teams that we thought of fairly highly when you look at the Stats FCF's top 25 and there's six or seven teams in any given week from the conference in that top 25 ranking? The fact that they went one and four in the first round, does that change anything about the way you feel about those wins in the regular season for Delaware? No, because I think that injuries and things like that do come into play. Obviously, we played Elon um, and we knocked out their starting quarterback, Davis Cheek, in the first quarter of that game. And so now that Elon team had to play without their starting quarterback. They got down to their third, third guy. String. Yeah. And I mean, that's something that we saw with a lot of teams in the CAA when we went up to Albany. They were playing with Jeff Undercuffler, who was actually like their third or fourth string quarterback, but they ended up beating that Stony Brook team in Albany. Um, but I mean, injuries play their course throughout the whole season. And Delaware had their fair share, not necessarily of injuries as much as just uh, players not really playing up to potential. Obviously, the biggest injuries happened in that quarterback position, but they didn't sideline players. They just prevented them to playing to their full potential. Well, obviously, we didn't see a 300 or even a 200-yard passing game like we expected out of Pat Kehoe uh, because of his partially torn ACL that he has been playing through most of the season. And then, of course, the concussion symptoms that sidelined him for that game against Villanova last week. And ultimately, I think it boils down to the fact that though the CAA might have went, you know, one in four in those opening round buys or in the, that opening round, this is still a conference that is a powerhouse. Like, it doesn't matter. Obviously, like these teams are, you know, seven and four, eight and three against each other. And so like those records, if they were playing in a Patriot conference like Colgate came out of. Right who they're 9-1, and one, but you had mentioned they never even beat a team with an above 500 record. Like, if you put JMU or Delaware in that conference, it's game over. They might go undefeated. JMU could easily go undefeated in a lot of these conferences. Right. You know, North Dakota, if you put them in North Dakota State's conference, the only question that they might have is South Dakota State. And so, and that's North Dakota State's only question in their conference. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, you look at a lot of these these different conferences. I mean, even like the Ivy League, where Princeton goes undefeated, and they don't even they don't get they don't even get into yeah. the playoffs. Um, so obviously, there's um, a lot of when it comes into the rankings, a lot of it is is very subjective, um, based off of you know strength of conference and things like that. But this this CAA is is a tough one to play in, and um, we saw that with the amount of teams that got in, but. Also, the the amount of competition that we saw throughout the regular season, including games that Delaware won and lost. And early in the season, this obviously it's a little bit different. As you mentioned, all of these teams, including Delaware, hampered by injuries by the end of it. 
So in Game 10 and Game 11, you're a lot different of a team than you are in Games 1, 2, and 3. But the CIA did fare very well against other FCS opponents as a whole. I think they had four or five losses to somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 wins against other FCS teams, not from the CIA. So it's still, in my opinion too, Josh, one of the best, if not the best conference at this level. Let's get to the game at hand. You mentioned Pat Kehoe's performance yesterday. I think that's a good place to start. Yeah. Uh, responsible for a lot of the struggles of this offense, though not alone in that uh, blame game. 13 of 32 passing for Kehoe, 116 passing yards, two interceptions for Kehoe. One of them kind of late in garbage time. The other one uh, a little bit earlier in the game in Delaware still had a chance to come back. He was also sacked five times. So the offensive line falls somewhere into this picture as well. And the rushing game, which Delaware tried to establish early, did not get much going. Dejan Lee, the first guy in there for the Blue Hens, 12 carries for 27 yards. That's an average of 2.2 yards per carry. Andre Robinson added six carries for 29 yards. First to Kehoe, what was to account for, you know, what, what makes up his game in this one? You know, what factors into that performance? And then what we've seen from him in the past couple of weeks for Delaware. Well, it started off, it was an abysmal first half for him. I mean, until that final drive where they were able to put up three on the board to make it 12-3 heading into halftime, um, he was 0 for 7 on his first passes. He looked terrible. He he looked like he was almost playing scared out there. Um, that was the big thing is he would go out there and he um, he would throw to, you know, guys who are double, triple covered and, um, you know, it wasn't necessarily a matter of his receivers not getting open. It was the fact that Charles Tut and Moreland for JMU were so overly uh, qualified to be guarding guys like Papali and Walker. I mean, they I mean, Moreland is this was the CAA defensive player yeah. of the year. last And at year. least in the second half, he basically traveled wherever Drew Walker went. Yep. And Walker, as a result. Did not catch a pass in this game. Yeah, and then Charles Tut ended up switching from Vinny Papali to Tylen McElhenney, mm-hmm. and that was he ended up getting uh, that first interception on a throw to Tylen McElhenney, and then um, the safety that had a interception, and then it got taken back due to a defensive holding play, and then he got another safety to really seal the deal, that second one in garbage time. Um, it wasn't necessarily that Pat Kehoe was not playing up to par as we saw in previous weeks I think it was more that this JMU defense was so good and that on top of it that he was not playing up to his standards that we saw against Towson and Elon Um, it's really it's a lot less of his his own inability to make those plays than it is that combined with the defensive prowess of this JMU Dukes team Looking at the offense as a whole in the first half, the average starting field position was Delaware's own 19-yard line, and they had two drives in the first half start inside their own 10. One of them started at the 1 after James Madison went for it on 4th and goal with a quarterback sneak and were unable to convert it. Delaware, until that field goal that you mentioned, Josh, went six times consecutively, three and out offensively. On the broadcast, you and I were both calling for a little bit more aggressive play calling. A lot of times the calculus when you're backed up close to your own end zone is we don't want to do anything that's going to turn the ball over and give the other team a short field or even give them points right away. But something that we talked about on the broadcast, and I think it bears mentioning here, 
You're playing a team that's a lot better than you. Yep. So at some point, you have to be able to make a few big plays that swing momentum in your favor, and that eventually will get you on the scoreboard. If if you sit back in that shell, their talent's going to overtake this game. They're eventually going to mount the offense, even though the defense had a great performance, and your offense won't be able to get anything going if you're one-dimensional late. That's basically what played out here. They were conservative early. They didn't get a first down on those first six drives, and then once they fell behind... You're left with Pat Kehoe completing well under 50% of his passes and not able to negotiate the pocket when JMU's got their pass rushers' ears pinned back ready to get after him, and you're one-dimensional late in the second half. Yeah, I mean, I think it really goes down to the parable of the tortoise and the hare. I mean, there were times when JMU's offense and defense took naps, but when your turtle has a partially torn ACL and just got knocked out of last week's game due to concussion symptoms, it doesn't matter how many times the hare sleeps slow and steady is not going to beat that JMU team. And so this team needed to strike fast, and it didn't do that. I've said multiple times in the broadcast, you know what? Oh, it's you know it's second and nine from their own three-yard line. Play action, toss it downfield, see what happens. Yeah. You know, maybe see if Moreland or Tut bites, find the open receiver downfield. And honestly, if, if, if push comes to shove, even if you get an intentional grounding call, what's it going to do? Half the distance to the goal, push you back to your mm-hmm. one and a half? Um, you know, that's like absolute worst case scenario. What you, you fumble in the end zone and it's a touchdown when you're backed up to your own three. I mean, they already had a safety in the game. That was the the first points on the game for JMU were that, that safety. And honestly, it was eerily cognizant of Delaware's game against Albany. And we said that, um, that game started 2-0 as well due to that Ray Jones, uh, safety off the edge. And speaking of Ray Jones, this was a team that didn't have their starting bandit linebacker safety type player in Ray Jones after he got ejected in the first quarter uh, due to a targeting penalty on a play that we thought they were going to try to revoke <laughs> the, the roughing the passer. And instead, it completely got flipped in, on its head and they reviewed it for targeting and they got him out of the game. Um, so this was a Delaware team that didn't wasn't didn't have a defense at full strength, yet they were still able to contain this powerful JMU offense that was averaging somewhere around 32 points a game. I think 36. It was 30, 36. Second in the CAA only to Towson. 36 points per game, and they were able to hold them to 20. But this right. was a JMU defense that was also able to hold Delaware, who was averaging somewhere around 22. And, and if you want to carry out that comparison to the Albany game, that game, it started the similar way, especially with the offense starting slow in the first half. They're able to get that 14-play drive at the end of the game capped off by the Kanai Kane touchdown run because Delaware is a more talented team than Albany. That eventually showed through in that game. They did get a couple of breaks in the second half, but Delaware was the team that was favored to win. They were the better team on the field that day, and they had more talent at almost every position than the Great Danes. Yep. It was the opposite here against James Madison, and we said it coming into this game They weren't going to beat the Dukes without a few big momentum-turning plays, and they were unable to develop any of those. Instead, they ended up being very conservative with their play calling. Since they were going three and out, you mentioned it, they set up James Madison with good field position. Eventually, they're going to score. The defense did all it could to keep them off the board for a long part of this game, and even at the end of the game with four consecutive stops, but then Delaware turning to the passing offense late in the game having a chance down two touchdowns, four straight drives, unable to mount anything, two of those drives ending in the Pat Kehoe interceptions. Yeah, and I mean, I for a long time, I thought this team was a very talented second-half team, and I think it just turns out that this team— They start slow. They start slow. I mean, that's ultimately what it is. They try to play conservative at first, and then sometimes 
they switch to that aggressive style right. of play. Think about Towson. You're down 18-6 to six at halftime against Towson. You come out, one of your first plays of the second half is a 49-yard pass from Kehoe to Papali that puts you down to the one-yard line. Sets up the Kanai Kane direct snap touchdown. I mean, that's just the kind of thing that this team wasn't able to do at all. And uh, again... And Towson's hats- a much much worse defense than James Madison And is. hats off to the JMU secondary. Yeah. I already said that once, but I'll say it again. Um, this ultimately was a JMU team that was expected to win. Um, we've said it multiple times on the broadcast. The spread was fifteen and a half. Delaware ended up beating the spread, which good for them. I mean, like, I mean, <laughs> silver linings here. I did. I mean, and before the game, I talked to you and I said I expect this game to be somewhere between a ten and twenty-eight point deficit, and it was fourteen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I there was a, a little bit like a little voice in the back of my head that said Delaware can win it. Um, especially I, when it's five to nothing early in the first half. Yeah, it's like especially when it's a 12, touchdown's going to give them a win. Time. Yeah. yeah. Or a lead, not a win, excuse me. Uh, but, but you know, ultimately this, like you said, James Madison's a better team. Delaware loses. It's, it's their third straight loss to close the season. I asked you this on the broadcast too, but I want to bring it back up now with a little bit more time to flesh it out. Was this Delaware football season year number two of the Danny Rocco era? Delaware goes 7-4, and 5-3 and three for the second straight year, but they make the playoffs, albeit a short trip to the postseason, losing this game to James Madison. Was this second year of the Danny Rocco era a success? It was hard to answer then, and it's hard to answer now. I said no. I said that I and I we were in the the we were doing the cage. You were down with, uh, I believe it was was Jake calling that first game um, against URI. Yeah, and I was in the studio and I was doing the cage that day, and. I said, you know, this is a team that's going to go 9-2 and two or 10-1. and one. If the defense plays up to full strength, if they can establish a pass game with Kehoe, if they can establish a run game with Kane and Lee, if they utilize Walker the way that he can be utilized as a, a field-stretching receiver, if they use Papali to pick up first downs, if they use Gene Coleman in the slot, and if they use Charles Scarf as a pass-catching tight end. This is a team that had a lot of potential coming into the season, not to mention a an offensive line that's not anything to balk at. I mean, this is obviously it's not, you know, this top offensive line, but this is a, an offensive line that could was suitable and then not even mentioning how good the defense looked on paper. And so I really ex- assume this team would lose at North Dakota State and potentially, um, I believe I said, at Richmond or um, to Stony Brook. Or, at Stony Brook. Yeah, at Stony Brook. Or, um, yeah, or like maybe Elon. I'm, I said this team might they're lose gonna one They're going to get a CIA loss in there somewhere, and yes. they're going to lose to North Dakota State. Yes, if they even get that CIA loss in there. Um, but And I really expected this team to do a lot better. Um, but when you slide at the end of the year like you did this year, just simply based off the fact that you, you stop being aggressive, you – you ha- you got a little beat up, but not as beat up as a lot of these other CAA teams. Right, especially until that Villanova game. That's something that I wrote. Like, until Villanova, who was the guy they lost that was a big contributor? Nobody, right? Like, this JMU team, they lost a guy named Rashad Robinson who was the defensive preseason player of the year at cornerback. Didn't we just spend the last 18 minutes talking about how two— 
how their two corners played extremely well against Delaware yesterday, and their other one, Jimmy Moreland, was Defensive Player of the Year in this conference. There, there are other teams who had guys out for the entire season, and this Delaware team, you, that's that can't be on the list of excuses injuries because, yes, they don't have Cam Kitchen for this game against James Madison. They didn't have Jamie Jarman for a few games. Oh, I mean, okay, like, Cam Kitchens is a really good player. He's your best defensive lineman. That wasn't the problem against James Madison. But the defensive line still played well yeah. against James Madison. Yeah. And, and Kehoe's banged up. That hurts, right? Kehoe was not as good in the past couple of games, and the injury has to be a part of why. But a lot of other guys, like, Elon doesn't have their starting quarterback for half the season. Who was a and their starting all CAA back. quarterback. Right, like, they, they got out of the injury battle pretty pretty high if you're Delaware. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's just ultimately what it boils down to is that they'll look at this season and they'll say, oh, we made the playoffs, but barely. I mean, right. and you ended up losing 20-6 to six to a rival of yours in the first round. That can't happen. And that was one of the reasons why, in my opinion, it was almost good you get James Madison first because then you're not kidding yourself after the two-game losing streak to end the season that, oh, we're going to make this this playoff run, whatever. If you get Incarnate Ward in the first round of this thing, like, and you beat them, then all of a sudden this this feels like a different type of season. When you playing your real competition, you're playing Stony Brook, Villanova, James Madison. This is really the team that that you have to to base your judgments of this season off of the team that finished this year right here. Yeah, and I mean, like, we can't discredit enough the fact that this team took a three game slide at the end. Like you look at that seven and four record, this was a team um, who was seven and two, and going into Stony Brook, we were like, could this team finish nine and two and win the CAA? Could this team be the the uh, get a first round buy? Like, okay, they didn't play that well against Albany, but you know what? If they turn that around, they beat Stony Brook at Stony Brook. They're eight and two. They have a, a trap game against Villanova. But you know, maybe this team goes nine and two. They get the first round by, and they yeah, sure, they lost to North Dakota State pretty badly, and they lost a game that they shouldn't have lost against URI. But this is a team, you know, you know, six weeks ago that we're like, oh my gosh, this is the squad. That homecoming game against Towson, unbelievable. That home, that the parents' weekend game against Elon, incredible. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is a completely different team. This is a team that's going to make a deep run. You know, they might get stopped by the defending national championships, but this the the defending national champions, right? But this is a team that is you know top notch. You know, now three weeks later, we're like, oh, they took a three game slide. They ended up losing in the playoffs after they might not have even gotten a playoff berth. And it's just like it's it's disappointing. So yeah. long story short, yes, this season is absolutely a disappointment for Rocco, and no, it is not a success because now he loses twenty eight seniors, twenty of which have started a game, and here we are. Right, and I would say it's a success to some degree to make the playoffs for the first time since two thousand ten. That was something that needed to happen. It needed to happen probably last year, but it needed to happen to get that monkey off their backs, if you will, right? Um, Rock, who had this comment that he, he kind of threw in there on Monday about the pressure that he feels his team had and has always had throughout his two years here until this game against James Madison. And they will have pressure on them as they should heading into next season, but the pressure to make the playoffs won't be there. It'll be to take the next step, to to win a playoff game. And then after that, to actually be in the conversation with these teams that we're talking about as some of the best in the nation, James Madison, North Dakota State, South Dakota State, 
you name it. That's probably a step or two down the road. Would Blue Hens fans want you to be there a whole lot sooner? Absolutely. And based off the size and the scale of this program and this school, it's a place that Delaware should really never fall off from. But the fact is they did in the Dave Brock era. That was a disastrous (laughs) coaching tenure. And now Danny Rocco is starting to get his own handle on this program. And you mentioned the 28 seniors leaving this team. Now it is to the players that Danny Rocco has recruited over the past two years and that he will bring into this program in his third year that have to take the program to the next level. You can say the foundation is set. You can say we're going to keep building. You throw out any cliche you want. I don't care. You have to have results next season beyond what this one was. So this is a success for the fact of making the playoffs, in my opinion. And that was something that, to me, was the expectation coming into the year. I picked them at 8-3, and 6-2, and two, which I thought would firmly get them into the playoffs from the CAA. The next step and the step that they have to take, which will be tough to take based on all of the talent that we'll discuss that is leaving this team, is to be in that real conversation and be competitive with teams like JMU and North Dakota State. This game this weekend shows you how off, far off they are yeah. from that reality. Yeah, we've had two games this year where we're like, okay, this is how far, this is how, how, this is how the real we are teams on the totem bottle. Yeah. The um, real teams come out and bash you in the mouth for 28 points in the first quarter out at the Fargo Dome. Yeah. And then they come here with, with 7,000 of their typical 25,000 fans, and they still are loud, and they still beat you in the mouth in the second half of the game. Yeah, and I think that this is a team that, I mean, a lot of people are saying like, oh, well, well now Danny Rocco will have his team. He'll have his recruiting class. It's like, yeah, okay, so maybe they fit the scheme a little bit better. But this is a team that's still graduating a lot of good players. We mentioned the numbers, 28 seniors, 20 who have started at least one game, and the list goes on and on of the the really the stars of the defense, as well as some of the contributors on offense, uh, specifically on the offensive line and at tight end, you're losing. Let's start with the offense. I want to ask yeah. you, what's the, what's the biggest loss when you look at the offensive skill guys, the offensive line? I think that... What really what we saw in this one in the game against JMU, I think losing Kanai Kane, who is one of the most powerful backs in the CAA easily and potentially one of the most powerful backs in the in the FCS as a, as a whole, losing him like we saw what that did to this team against Villanova, against JMU. There was a couple of plays where they could have used him on third and two, and they had to rush Dejan Lee, who is about 40 to 50 pounds lighter and about three to four inches shorter. Um, this is They're going to miss him a lot, but I don't think that anything is going to be missed as much as Charles Scarf. I think that having sure hands in the red zone, what, he, he caught like seven touchdowns this year? Seven touchdowns. He was one away. And for a while, I think since the Towson game, he was one away from the Delaware record for most touchdowns in a season by a tight end and the Delaware record for most touchdowns in a career by a Delaware tight end. And that's a Delaware team who in its history has had Ben Patrick and Nick Boyle, both of which have gone on to the NFL and have had not maybe not the most successful career. But they've hung around. But they've hung yeah. they are Ben Patrick spent about I'd say 8 years in the NFL and Nick Boyle is still going with the Ravens. So um that's 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 no, that's nothing to balk at if, if you're uh if you're Charles Scarf. And uh, but What I mean, about the defense? Troy Reader. 1000%. 16 tackles against James Madison yesterday career high. 
And I think, I mean, but you can't say Troy Reader without also saying Charles Bell. This linebacker core, as well as Ray Jones, is taking a huge hit. We saw what Kedrick Whitehead could do. True freshman, by the way. Uh, we saw what he could do when he came in. So maybe the Ray Jones one, not as big of an issue. But losing Charles Bell and losing Troy Reader on the inside, that's going to hurt. That's a lot of your pressure is right there with those two guys. A lot of the the run stoppage comes from Bell and Reader. And that's not even to mention another guy who helps a lot in the run game. Mike Houston, the coach of JMU, said it in the press conference. And Sierra Adderley coming up into the box. That's another senior that you're losing. Three dominant guys um, in the, the rush game. Not to mention, of course, Nasir Adderley and Malcolm Brown in the pass game. And you look at the secondary. The entire secondary that started against James Madison. Danny Adewusi. And Casey Hinton. So. Yeah, they have some talent. They have some young guys at linebacker behind Troy Reader, behind Drew Charles Nichols. Bell. Drew yeah, Nichols. You got Drew Nichols will have a great year next year. Yeah, he he got more playing time as the season went along. I would be interested to see if they think about him in Colby Reader's spot, maybe moving Colby somewhere else inside um, where Troy played. They do have Johnny Buchanan had an interception earlier this season. He's got some promise on the inside as well as Jack. Nicola, but those guys are young. They're green. They're true freshmen this year. They got some experience, but not very much. Yeah. They're going to be relied on a lot over the next couple of seasons. And Buchanan a lot more on special teams as well. We got to see him yeah. shine on the special team side of the game. That In the secondary, it's tough to see where the answers come from. That could be an area where you maybe look for some transfers, and same with the defensive line where you lose Armin Ware and Cam Kitchen on both sides. Caleb Ashworth had maybe his best game as a blue hen. Yeah. Against JMU, he comes back at defensive tackle. You do have Frank Burton coming back at end, as well as Brandon Hall. Those guys and Hall had a phenomenal Hall, game. Hall did have a, as well. that's probably his best game as a blue hand. I think Burton was up and down. I think he started fast for the team. Probably settled in, didn't get as big a role later in the season. So there is some talent back to that defense, but it's it's a defense that's losing a lot. Eight starters from James Madison's game, and then the, the offense. You mentioned Kane, you mentioned Scarf. Those are two big guys there. The receivers, they got some young guys, and that's another area where I want to ask you about. They have some young guys behind Walker, Papali, and Jarman, all three of which will graduate. Out of the batch of Coleman, Ty McElhenney, Thyric Pitch, Chichi Machi, who do you think, Austin Haverstrom, who do you think maybe steps up moving forward for Delaware? I remember seeing Thyric Pitt's recruiting video when when he declared to Delaware and thinking, oh my gosh, this kid, 6'4", over 200 pounds, he's going to be an absolute phenom. And they haven't used him. I think that him next year, he will take that X role that Joe Walker has been playing. He gets moved over there. Gene Coleman stays in the slot, and they've got Tylen McElhenney, where Vinny Papali was. And using Austin Haverstrom, like you mentioned, he had a 13-yard run yesterday, after getting subbed in wearing J.P. Caruso's number nine, they thought it was uh, they thought it was Tenny Adewusi for a long time on the stats, mm-hmm. on the stats, um, and we had no idea who it was. But having Haverstrom play a very similar role to what Tylen has played this year, um, coming in as that fourth receiver and really, really focusing on the development of Thyric Pitts uh, to really become a top tier wide receiver in this league. Uh, I really think that he has the potential. I've seen his highlight tapes. I've seen what he's... He mosses, guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, standing at 6'4", this kid can absolutely put on a show when it comes to pay dirt. Um, and I think that moving Bryce Damali, 
get making sure that he gets some work in on the jugs gun, just catching balls, um, really increasing his rapport with either uh, with either Pat Kehoe or Nolan Henderson. I, I, this is a team that's yeah, going to so have that's, that's the next question, right? Quarterback situation. Kehoe's back for another year. Nolan Henderson, we saw him just in that game against Villanova. Anthony Paoletti, a true freshman this year. We said we said it yesterday. That's at least got to be a conversation. Mm-hmm. I think Kehoe's, if he is the starter, I think there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic about what he could bring the team in 2019. As many people said throughout the season, coaches, people around the team, he steadied the ship at quarterback. He yep. was dependable through the middle part of the season for Delaware. But it's a conversation you have, and I think it is up to competition as far as who out of that three-man batch emerges as the best option to lead Delaware's team on offense next year. Yeah, and I mean, you had mentioned that you wrote an article for the review where you said that Nolan Henderson would be the starting quarterback this year. And that the line <laughs> of thinking there was like, I saw J.P. Cruz the last couple games of the season. He was fine, but you don't want to build an offense around him, he's limited in what he brings you. He was less than, uh, you know, less than 200 yards in every single game of his career. Nolan Henderson brings you some extra dimensions that you, if you build effectively into your offense, can take it to the next level. Can give your offense multiple dynamics if he's able to develop as a passer in the pocket. And you saw how fast he is and how agile he is. If you can combine those two aspects, that's an interesting conversation for your offense to to be more multiple, to have a lot more options than what we saw, especially when we were talking earlier on this on this show about how conservative it seemed they were at the beginning of the game. Wouldn't you love to have a little read option availability with Nolan Henderson and a running back, or he pulls it out, and we like we saw with uh, Ben DiNucci, a little RPO action to the weak side. Those are the types of things that theoretically, if he develops into the quarterback that the Blue Hens would love him to, is something he could offer them. Yeah, I mean, he could be a top three quarterback in the CAA if they utilize him to his strength. And that's someone who can throw the ball deep downfield, which we saw in his time at right. Smyrna. I mean, I mean, I, everyone's seen that highlight tape if you follow Delaware football. When this kid committed, you were like, holy crap, this is the kid that took Smyrna to a, to a state championship. Couple state championships. And absolutely murdered everyone in their path. I mean, he was, um, I mean, we put the title on him against Villanova. He's Houdini Henderson, this kid. <laughs> Can get out of this kid can get out of tackles. He can open up. He can take a dead play and turn it into a first down just by moving his feet. I mean, he knows exactly what to do. It's just whether or not he can be utilized in the same way in Danny Rocco's offense that we've seen other top uh, dual threat guys be used not only in the FCS but in the FBS as well. I mean, yeah. there are guys like Deshaun Watson. There are guys um, really in. Guys that are past first quarterbacks, but know that they've got the speed to run if they have to, mm-hmm. um, and that's the kind of that's the kind of utilization in that game against Villanova. He looked like a run first quarterback that has the ability to throw. They really need to switch that mind spe- mindset, focus on him increasing in the pocket, and really ha- having that presence. Maybe learning a little bit from Pat Kehoe on how to be a pocket passer that can you know take a little bootleg and and go for it. But uh, I really think that. With the crop of wide receivers, the crop of running backs and um, that are leaving, this is a perfect time for Nolan Henderson to get pushed into the spotlight with, a, with emerging wide receivers and emerging running backs that he came in with. I mean, like Andre right. Robinson transferred and- from Penn State. I mean, these, these wide receiver class that he came in with, 
that's the kind of guys that you want around you, and that's what Rocco wanted to build was his own team, and Henderson's the guy at quarterback for me. Well, and, and all of this is based off a small sample size. We've seen a lot more of Bat Kehoe. We've seen ups and we've seen downs with mm-hmm. him. We saw, I think, a pretty strong performance from Nolan Henderson, but there is that fear of what does a down game from him look like. It could look like not very much through the air, perhaps, um, especially when you're getting a little bit more risky with the ball turnovers, that sort of thing. We don't know, and there's a lot to be hopeful for and a lot of promise that you see with what he showed us both at Smyrna and against Villanova. And then there's the other complete unknown in Anthony Paoletti, just a freshman this year, ran the scout team. It's what Henderson did when he was a true freshman. And they said that, you know, Nolan Henderson, he has got a lot that we like, but he needs to spend yet another year to to build his strength, to continue to learn the college system. Perhaps that's the case for Paoletti, but he is a little bit bigger, more of a pocket guy, threw for over 7,000 passing yards in his final three seasons as a starter in high school. So, Another option that should probably be thrown in there with Pat Kehoe and Nolan Henderson for the Blue Hens as we look at what 2019 will look like for Delaware. I kind of alluded to it before as far as what my expectations are for this team moving forward, but Josh, I'll pose it to you too. What what will be, and obviously a lot's going to change between now and, and when the season begins again in August, but what will be Kind of your level of expectation, where do you think this team needs to go in order for 2019 to be considered a success? Well, they need to look at this, accept this season for what it was, and they need to look forward to the future with this new crop of guys and say, this is the team we want to be. Take this JMU defeat and say, this is the kind of program that we want to build. This is a team that's getting a new stadium. Well, Getting Re- renovations. Re- yeah. Let's let's put those little <laughs> air quotes up there. They're getting renovations to Delaware Stadium. This is a this is a a team who will have a stadium the size and capacity of JMU. This is a team who could have the same level of success as JMU if they accept what the past is. Delaware football has a storied tradition of being one of the best programs in the FCS. Saying we need to go back to that. A lot of it comes down to a winning culture and building that. Danny Rocco, 14-8, and 0-1 playoff record in his two seasons here. He needs to have seasons where he's 9-2, and 10-1, and one, and really utilizing the players that he brings in under this team, really rallying behind his system, his play calling, and you know a coaching staff that believes in Delaware football, whatever that means. You know, whether that means Danny Rocco turns into a Tubby Raymond type guy or maybe he's just a KC Keeler who leads this team to a couple national championships and, you know, deep playoff runs. But, you know, maybe he's not this doesn't have the staying power. But still, I think that that's Danny Rocco's upside is that he has the ability to be a name that sticks to the ribs of Delaware football. But he's got to implement a system that's effective and really push this team to be the best that it's been and better than it's been in the past, which is a very hard thing to do, and it's a lot of pressure. But I think if anyone in the last 10 years could do it, he's definitely got more of a chance than Dave Brock. And (laughs) towards the end of Casey Keeler's career here, um, I think that that Rocco has a lot of upside, and um, I can't wait to see, you know, in the years that we're not here, when we're just fans coming back for a couple of games every year, I really want to see what he can do in that perspective. That'll do it for this final edition of the Delaware Football Roundup for the 2018 football season. Thanks for being with us 
all throughout the year on both 91.3 WVUD and here on the Blue Hen Sports Cage podcast feed. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys soon.